I would sooner identify myself as an artist rather than a painter, sculptor, printmaker. Being an artist, that gives me the ability to use all the disciplines, if you will. And why not? Black creativity is unstoppable. The Studio Noise podcast takes you into the studio with Black artists and creatives making the art that moves the culture. You get to feel all the inspiration, technique, and passion behind the people making paintings, making photographs, making drawings, making noise. It's the Studio Noise podcast with your host, Jamal Barber. It's the noise. Yes, it's your boy, Jay Barber. Some artists just got it. They got that glow. You know it when you see it. It's the thing that makes them prolific and creative, and you just can't explain it. Today's guest, Juan Logan, definitely has that. You can look at the amount of work he's making. He's talking about 150 painters in a series, right? The quality of work we're talking about, the Whitney and collections all over the world, and the creativity he's using this symbol, defining it, then redefining it thousands of times. And it never gets old, never gets stale. It's great to talk to Juan about how he thinks, where his ideas come from, and what's behind this tremendous work ethic that he has. The man never stops. So it's going to be such a pleasure to bring out this conversation. Check out the Studio Noise website. That's studionoisepodcast.com. Become a patron and support the show. We got some good stuff coming. Anything that you can give us to keep us going, I sure do appreciate it. I mean, I can't wait to bring you some of the stuff that we got planned. But, you know, your boy's on, on a solo mission right now. <laughs> but I'm going to get it done, yo. We're going to get where we're going eventually, I promise you. Uh, go over to the I Like Your Work podcast site. Your boy, Jay Barber, is going to be the juror for the Summer Jury Exhibition over at I Like Your Work. Uh, I love Erica and all the stuff she's doing over there. So I'll be a juror. You can submit uh, three pieces. Uh, I think it's a part of the application fees. We'll go to my favorite spot, Atlanta Printmaker Studio. So, you know, you got to support the studio. got to support the noise, support I Like Your Work. Yo, we're going to keep highlighting all these artists out here. It's going to be a good time. So head over to the I Like Your Work podcast.com. Go ahead and submit your work. Deadline is May 28th. Good luck to everybody. So all you got to do right now. Just go ahead, find your two art lover friends, anybody that loves art right now, find them. Go ahead, text them, page them, whatever y'all, <laughs> page them. <laughs> if you got no pages, <laughs> how old am I, yo? Yes, go ahead and, and get in contact with them. Let them know. It's time to get up on here and listen to the noise, baby. After we come back from the break, we got the one and only Mr. Juan Logan. It's the noise, baby. We back. This is Avita Tizano, multidiscipline collage artist, and you are listening to Studio Noise. In Studio Noise, it's your boy Jake Barber, and I'm here with a man. He was born a grown man. He sat up, sat up and asked the nurse for that pencil she was holding so he could get to work. <laughs> Already, we got Mr. Juan Logan on the podcast. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. I hope you are. I'm good, man. I'm good, man. I'm so glad to get to talk with you, man. Yeah, I've I've been a fan of your work for a long time. Like a uh, quick story, me and Charlie Palmer, we were doing a setting up my show, the 400 show at UNC Chapel Hill, and on the way back, it's like, yo, we're gonna stop by and see one. It's like, think, yeah, we're just gonna have a little visit, say hello, shake hands, you know what I'm saying, stuff like that. Man, I walked to your studio, man. It was it was it was amazing. <laughs> it was amazing. It was it was quite quite something, man. So thank you. Um, you came back. I really am. Oh, for sure, man. And and you know, <laughs> the, your, 
your studio is something else, man. It's what seven and seven thousand square feet, yeah, uh, twenty foot ceilings. Like, tell yeah. us about that, man. Yeah, I mean it's uh, it's a wonderful space to work in. It really is. It's an old uh, part of an old mill, um, but the floors are maples, twenty foot ceilings. And when we moved in, we had to. Uh, put in a new wall, one new wall anyway, that was about 115 feet long, 120 feet long. Wow. And that particular wall runs on the 20-foot side of the of the room uh, in terms of height, uh, but it goes up 12 feet and then, you know, half-inch plywood behind it and then five-eighths inch sheetrock on top of it. So you can you can hang pretty much anything you want to hang on the wall, you know, that sort of thing. And the the thing that I think I enjoy most about it is the ability to make something large, but also to be able to leave it in, in place and not worry about it taking up all of my space. So you can do a, a 15 or 20 foot piece if you want to, and just leave it hanging on the wall. And it doesn't really matter that much. You know, you can just, you don't even have to work around it. There's just other space to work, uh, to work in and on. Um, and, uh, but as I said, maple floors, a brand new HVAC system, new lighting, new bathroom, all that. And then we were ready to roll. Oh yeah. Oh, you ready, man. <laughs> you water ready. Like, and, and it's such a, a huge space and you are such a prolific artist too, because even like you said, you had the big 15 foot, 10 foot pieces, like hanging on the wall all the way down the wall. And then like the whole middle section was full oh, yeah. of boxes and stacks of like all kinds of work that you had have done over the years. Oh, yeah, uh, but you, and you still had room <laughs> to oh, yeah. be working. <laughs> Like it's it, it was such a great space, man. It was so inspiring, man. It's like it's like a dream. Like if I could ever get, if I could ever get oh, myself together and have something like that, I would be. It would be amazing, man. Well, you know, I, I work seven days a week uh, normally, um, and um, my son told me a few years ago. He said, "You know, Dad, it's been eighteen years since you've been on vacation. You need to take a vacation." And I said, "You know, I'm working toward that. I'm I'm, I'm getting close." <laughs> but i always feel obligated to put my time in you know, in the studio i mean every day um sometimes it's just a, a couple hours sometimes many many more but um I don't, nothing happens unless you spend the time you know that's for sure and, and yeah. was that something that you got at a young age like were you like always like that or did it, you develop it I, i've pretty much been that way all my life it um um I was never one to I, now believe me when I tell you I had a good time growing up. I mean, and and during my when I refer to my youth uh, in my twenties and all that sort of thing, I had a great time. You know, so I was out there in the world, um, living large, <laughs> doing everything <laughs> everything you're supposed to be doing and not doing. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, good times. So good times. Anything got left out. Uh, <laughs> but I also I remember a conversation with Elizabeth Catlett though, and the whole notion of. Uh, she was saying one time that um, uh, I did that a curator from the Museum of Modern Art came by. This I think this is when she was living in New York and um, wanted to put her some of her work in the exhibition. But she had been living large as well and didn't have any work because she hadn't been spending any time in the studio. And uh, and then I always I had this uh, Ziggy, the cartoon character, mm -hmm. I had a cartoon uh, about Ziggy hanging on my wall probably for 15 years or more. And he was coming home. He came home and there was a note on the door. And the note said, not while you were out. And it was signed opportunity. And I said, that happens so many times to so many people, you know, sometimes me. I said, but I'm never going to let that happen again. So when you knock on the door and you need something, I'm going to have it for you. No, that's for sure. 
That's for sure. Yep. And they need a, they pull up at your, your spot. You, they're liable to find anything up here. You know <laughs> what a, on now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I have to admit, there is a little bit of everything in there. I even have this. Uh, this is a 1910, 1920 uh, coffin uh, that I found in a store <laughs> years ago. And I've been carrying that coffin around for a long time now. Um, but it's just a small coffin. It's only it's, it was clearly it was for a, a child. Uh, but I always imagined I would do something with it. And then I have this little uh, miniature, not miniature really, but um, it's life size. Uh, what looks like it would be a gas chamber. Mm. Um, it's not. It was actually used for measuring your emissions, your your breathing and everything. But it was used by the EPA. And I said, well, I bought it from EPA surplus years ago. And I said, well, I don't need it right now, but I might one day. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yeah, so I, I need a, a giant contraption to check emissions. Grandfather <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and my my dad and all that sort of thing. They they had so much stuff, you know, and they really didn't need it at the time. But they, maybe one day, <laughs> I just like to be prepared. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man, that's crazy. And so so you know, if people don't know your work, please go look them up at juanlogan.com. Yeah, well, that's the website, and the, probably the best bet in terms of looking right now um, is just wine.logan on Instagram. Oh, yeah, yeah, check, definitely check it out. I was going to mention that, yeah. Yeah, uh, just wine. yeah you definitely want to check it out, and I think, um, I guess we'll start. I, I, I want to introduce the, the one concept first, because I think that's the most important thing to know, like, going into your work, is to sure. understand, like, the head symbol that you have. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think it's important because, like, Juan Logan does so much work. He does paintings, drawings, sculptures, installations, videos. Uh, it's, it's an amazing breadth of work that you're able to to do just by like how much time you put into it. But also sure. it's centered around this head symbol and the amount of creativity that you have in, in representing it as a multifaceted thing. Right. I think it's super yeah. important for people to know like the origin in the structure of that as we talk about your work. Well, you know, it's, it, it, I'm glad you brought that up. That's, that's um, because that's the I started using that head actually in 1967. So I've been using that head or I, something similar to that head over the years, over the decades, and um, I always imagine that everything we ever were or will be takes place there first. It has nothing to do with our bodies per se, you know. So uh, all of our imaginings, I mean, everything. Um, it's who we are. It's what we have always been. It's, it's our genius. It's our it's our intellect. It's it's all there, if you will. Um, so I've used it to talk about us in varying ways over the years. Um, and I think the first time I used it, I was defining more about who I was. And the first painting I did was entitled "I Am Black," and I didn't want there to be any confusion about that. Um, so. Um, unfortunately, that painting was later stolen. Uh, oh Lord! <laughs> <laughs> but um, fortunately, I had a, a good old two by two image of it that um, I had saved over the years. But no, I, I think I've used it for that, and it morphs into clouds when I talk about dreams. It it morphs into boats when I talk about how we traverse this land of ours, and both psychological uh, and material and 
I think that it's, uh, I've used it in so many ways to talk about so many different things. I did this painting recently um, talking about the children that were being held captive on our southern border. Mm. And um, there were 5,700 heads in that, representing 5,700 children. Um, so again, it gets used in many, many different ways to talk about humanity, really, just to talk about humanity. It reminds me of this assignment we used to do in uh, in foundations design for a government degree, and they gave you <laughs> a uh, they gave you a square with a circle mm-hmm. in the middle, and it's mm-hmm. like if this is the aerial view of something, mm-hmm. what does the shadow look like? And they used it as sort of a test of people's creativity because oh, yeah. normally people can like obviously you'll go through the first like amount of shapes that you can think of. Sure. Um, for the first 10 but right. like can you get 70 of them like can you make oh, 150 of them like can you I make can you have conceive of <laughs> these different shapes that will look right. like this from an aerial view and right. that's the elasticity of your creativity is oh, tested yeah. because yeah. now you have to think beyond and give it more meaning that wasn't even there before and so that's what i see that you do with this head symbol if you've done it with hundreds of pieces like oh, oh yeah. i would i would dare to say a thousand pieces like oh, over, over the last <laughs> however many years that you've been using it oh yeah yeah i mean so many pieces i mean sculpture uh there was one piece of sculpture that i made that had 1100 heads in it um uh, that were cast and um um interesting story regarding that it was being shown at a museum here in north carolina and it was being shipped to uh another museum in tennessee and i was doing a show with um Willie Cole and um, the pieces arrived all um, all but twenty five of them had been destroyed. No, wait a minute. <laughs> wait, <laughs> wait, out of the, out of the twelve hundred pieces, you said yeah, twenty five of them. Twenty five survived. What yeah, in and, the world? What happened? Well, one they weren't necessarily packed well um, at the originating uh, institution. And then they set them outside on the dock waiting for the shipper to pick them up. And he did, but he didn't really care so much about art oh. as much as load. And it was it was below freezing that morning. So all these pieces were actually cast in wax. Oh. <laughs> uh, but they were all sort of these three-dimensional heads, you know. And um, um, he tossed them in the truck, and they all, but 25, shattered. Wow. So that, when they arrived, that's insane. They, uh, the curator called me and said, you know how people are talking slow sometimes, Ramon? Yeah. <laughs> and, you, and, and they call your name with a long call. Is it long? <laughs> you know something's wrong. I'm like, oh, Lord. <laughs> she didn't say, are you sitting down? But she might as, she could, might as well have, you know? Yeah. Uh, but at any rate, um, but yeah, I mean, that things happen, of course, you know, and I, and I still had the molds for all those pieces. So who paid for that? Uh, actually, a company out of um, uh, London paid for it. Oh, okay. They were insured by some company uh, with the institution uh, in London, and that was fine. But it took a year to settle because the the company uh, said, "Well, you have twenty five; you can still sell those twenty five. I said, "But the installation was at about eleven hundred. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I can sell twenty five before my twenty five. You know, so it was, it was just, you know one of those things. You know, yeah." Uh, but but I've made um, there were other heads that were cast in polyurethane resin with a powder down coating. There were the big heads that are probably five feet tall and four feet wide and uh, made out of uh, wood. 
Um, and I guess they're about nine and a half, ten inches thick, if you will, um, or deep. And they're covered in, in metal, uh, various metals and all that. Um, and then there are others that are um, uh, made out of porcelain. I was doing a residency at Cola Company and made a whole bunch of uh, porcelain pieces while I was there, as well as cast iron pieces as well, you know. See, and you you mentioned so casually all these different like mediums, like oh, you know, it's it's nothing, you know, a little metal, a little wax, porcelain, like like you just well, just rattling it off like it's like like that's normal. Well, it's not normal, man. <laughs> Here's what it comes down to, though, and I think you would agree. I would sooner identify myself as an artist rather than a painter, sculptor, printmaker, right? And so on. Right. Uh, being an artist that gives me the ability to for use all the disciplines if you will mm -hmm. and and why not i mean i think sometimes uh, a particular project requires a particular um medium i mean most of the the outdoor things that i've done have been many times in stone or steel and um we were just discussing one recently and it was done in granite you know wow um and I think in the end, the piece under—I mean, initially it weighed about seventy thousand pounds. Oh Lord, cool. Yeah, it was. I was a heavy piece, I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> but, just, but Jamal, the thing that's always interesting to me and really sort of funny is to say, "Are you doing that in your studio?" And I said, "You know, I'm just slinging that thing around the studio all day long." <laughs> no. no. <laughs> I, I'm not that strong anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so I slow no, down a little bit. Yeah. Guys, I'm slowing down there. Come on. <laughs> but, but the idea, though, that uh, there isn't much that we can't do, mm -hmm. um, more times than not, we just have to figure out how to get it done. You know? Yeah, for sure. And, and I think probably the most important thing is, you know, our, our collaborations. Because there's so many things that so many other people are better at than I am. Mm hmm. And I'm more than happy to engage them to help me do whatever it is I need to do because they're good at it. They know what they're doing. Yeah. And and you want that level of expertise, you know? Yeah, for you, sure. You, oh, yeah. I love, you know, collaboration, yeah, my work, thing, too. I work with you as a printmaker because you are so good at what you do. I mean, you, you're a, a masterful printmaker and I'm not. So, of course, I would come to you, you know? Yeah. And, and in, engage. I mean, so that we can do a project together. Yeah, for sure. And and so tell me, tell me just in the in the foundation of it, like how how much does that material conversation like add to the concept of what you're trying to explore as you go? I think in, in terms of printmaking or in terms of just generally speaking, just in general. Yeah, I think the idea of looking at, um, we'll say stone, for example, you know, uh, there's so many things you can do with it. You said we were using a black masabi granite. And out of that, we were able to extract the the polished granite, which looks really, really wonderful. But then we use uh, water jet on part of it, which uh, gave it this very, very soft appearance. Um, uh, laser on it, uh, which changed the appearance of it well as well. But it's almost like using um, heat on some granites, which have a, a gold appearance. Mm -hmm. But the moment you use heat on it, it's going to turn it pink. Hmm. And we we got granite from China. I mean, from everywhere we could find it that had this really gold color that we were trying to use. And every time we heated it so that it would be safe to walk on, because it gives it a little texture, if you will, uh, it changed to pink every time, no matter where it was from around the globe. Hmm. Um, but it's, you, you learn so much. You It just opens up so many other possibilities simply by knowing, by knowing 
That's right, all. Right. Yeah. And it gives you, uh, it allows you to increase your visual vocabulary in ways that you had not imagined. And that's the best part of collaborating because you learn so much from the person you're working with. Yeah. 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 So, so it's that whole thing too, Jamal, that uh, I was listening to Hugh McCall, who used to be the president CEO of Bank of America. Mm-hmm. And, and I, my son says, often says the same thing that you give up nothing by helping others. You don't, you don't lose anything right. when you have, you really don't. It's a game game kind of experience. And that's sort of how I feel about it. You know, um, there's very little that I know I uh, have uh, come to know that I wouldn't, I'm not willing to share with someone else. Yeah. And when I approach the collaborations, it's a similar idea, but it's more about um, what is the new level I can take my creativity to. Sure. Right? Exactly. Because, because yeah. you will have an idea that I couldn't even imagine have thought of at all. Mm-hmm. And like, I find that I always think that's fascinating to see like oh, this new, new random idea that like, how did you make that connection? Cause art is to me, the genius of art is connecting not A to B, but A to H, A to right, exactly. A to Y. Like, and you just take these leaps and that leap is the genius that that's oh, required yeah. of art. And like, really, everybody can't have it. And so it's no. fascinating to like be able to witness it and break it down and then be oh, a absolutely. part of it. And like, it changes right. how you can think about stuff. It does. It really does all day long. It really does. And, you know, it's also interesting, too, that sometimes and I'm sure that you possibly I know you've experienced this, that you will create something and then time goes by and you have a chance to look back at it. And there were things you were doing there. And sometimes you question how you were doing those those things. Right. Yeah. Um, because most of the work isn't like that. And uh, and then other times you you do something uh, like some of the larger pieces the way I've used puzzle pieces on them. Mm hmm. I mean, thousands and thousands of puzzle pieces. And I'm thinking halfway through that project, I'm thinking, why did you start this? Because <laughs> <laughs> you've been on this piece for months now. <laughs> and yes, you are tired of it. <laughs> That's crazy. Like, but, so, but out, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, um, let's see, what puzzle piece was it? Was it, I'll save you tomorrow? Is that the piece? That's possibly I'll save you tomorrow or uh, a sugar house, one of those in terms of big pieces. Yeah, yeah. Tell yeah. Me, so tell me about like making like a big piece, like when you do have, because one of the things about it is that you use the symbol in various sizes. And I think the multitudes in which you show it, like you said, uh, having just a puzzle piece and it's, you know, 11,000 of them or however many like you put up there, like that's a oh. lot of stuff. And, and it becomes accumulative. Like in the effect that it has when you see oh, it, it in does. person. I mean, it has and, a, there's a level of depth associated with that, that um, uh, rather than just that singular layer, um, sometimes you're creating this very three-dimensional piece that sort of undulates as it moves across the page, if you will, yeah. uh, that you can sort of roll over into, if you will. Um, there are some heads that have been made out of puzzle pieces that are fully three-dimensional and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are uh, puzzle pieces that have been carved as puzzle pieces uh, onto a surface, you know, uh, rather than using real puzzle pieces, you simply carve them into the surface. Um, so, I mean, it's, again, so many ways of using materials and ideas of those materials and things, that, places you can take them, if you will. Yeah, for sure. So, like, tell me yeah, about what, what was the piece that was about um, people outside of the Katrina? Um, uh, that was. That was help me save me love me. Help me save uh, me love me. Now, now you yep. the puzzle. Was that the first piece you used puzzle pieces on? 
Um, probably, but there were, well, there were puzzle pieces slightly before that, that I've used when I was talking about leisure spaces Mm -hmm. and, um, it's where I'm looking at spaces that were, uh, where we like, uh, Martha's Vineyard or Atlantic beach or some of the beaches that were sort of ours, if you will, Mm -hmm. Mark Haven beach up in Virginia, just depends on where they were. There's a painting, um, called black Eden. There's one that deals with Santa Monica Beach where we uh, were given, I didn't, when I was doing the research on the piece on that particular spot, if you will, uh, I didn't realize that the uh, no trespassing sign where these two people were standing was actually uh, relating to that particular beach. We were allotted, um, I think it was 200 square feet of space on the beach. 200 square feet? I think it's about 10 to 20 feet. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. And <laughs> so when I did the painting about that, I had this massive uh, sort of black cloud. Um, and see, my clouds, as I said, are made up of all of our head shapes that mm-hmm. come together to make up that cloud. So this massive black cloud with this very tiny, thin, I mean, uh, sort of almost like a paper-thin beach that we had access to. And no way in the world we could all fit, of course, we, and we didn't. Um, but it, it sort of explained uh, our situation in that moment. Um, it's like looking at um, Lake Pontchartrain down in New Orleans and how there was the, um, uh, the other park or um, boardwalk, if you will, that had the rides and had everything there. And then there was ours, which was surrounded by fisheries on the other side, and they would dump their waste in the, in the lake there and it would wash back into our beaches. Oh, no. Um, I mean, it's it's always interesting. What I try to do in my virtual model is not so much to historicize it as much as look at it in terms of where we where things were. Mm-hmm. And I think about where we are. And so I talk about where we are. It's always interesting to me when people historicize things and they, they I'm not sure if they're we're trying to keep them there or if we are suggesting that that was that happened once upon a time, but it's no longer a part of our culture. But most things remain. They don't go away. So if you look at the trustees, if you look at the police during slavery, and you look at the police today, there's not really a great deal of difference between the two. Mm-hmm. Not really. It's sort of like um, when James Allen wrote Without Sanctuary and put that book together, and it was a book of postcards primarily, you know, and he was looking at um, the fact that with all the lynchings that occur- occurred in America, we would often people would often document those things and create postcards so they can mail them to their friends. And this is where we were, you know, three weeks ago. Didn't we have a great time? Mm-hmm. You know? And people would bring their families, their children, their, and have picnics for the lynching. And it's bizarre in the sense that when we talk about this American culture of ours and making America great again, um, one would have to question which America are we talking about? Oh, yeah. What, what your definition of America is. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, so I think what I've always tried to do, Jamal, is to, I, I try to provide very few answers. I, I've spent a lot of time trying to provide better questions. So most of my work is surrounded, uh, based on trying to ask better questions about various uh, situations, social, generally, rather than political um, um Elizabeth Catlin and I were having a conversation. He said, you know, political 
simply means you're taking a particular position. Uh, social simply means that you are exploring uh, the things that are going on around you. Mm. And so I'm exploring the things that are going on around me, both, as I said, the uh, physical and uh, psychological landscapes that we exist in. And um, I have lots of questions about that constantly uh, because things, um, as you know, have continued down certain paths and you are, you know, you're trying to place that in the visual context. So what does that look like? You know? And so the questions I'm raising are not uh, questions necessarily for you as much as they are for me. So my paintings are based on those questions that I'm examining. And so we end up having to seek our own answers because my answers may not fit with you at all. And that's okay. Right. 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 I I love that because I think that your use of symbols like leaves it very open ended because nothing is like completely represented in Mm -hmm. in a perfect space. So like you use like the red cross symbols, you have the head, you use boats a lot. And then uh, the puzzle pieces like start to take on a different meaning and the meaning i think that the the way that the meaning can change from piece to piece i think also makes it makes you wonder because you're never all the way set up on what the puzzle piece actually means so when you see it in context in one piece uh, i'm gonna go back to the to the katrina piece what was the name of it yep you say me love me yeah and and, yeah let's talk about that piece for me because i think that is when I really start to see because I saw that piece after I had seen like more pieces from you that included a puzzle piece. Right. But the explanation of that one really started making me question like what I was seeing. It's interesting that you bring that up because I've been asked many times about the puzzle pieces in that piece. And if you remember when we were when people were waiting outside the Superdome waiting to get in because they were seeking shelter. There was this overhead shot of them waiting outside the Superdome in, in New Orleans. And if you took the time to blow that up, it would pixelate in what looks like puzzle pieces. You couldn't discern individuals at all. You could only discern the color, the bits and pieces of the clothing they were wearing or the things they were carrying with them. But you couldn't discern any individuals at all. Mm-hmm. And at that moment, it looked like this massive puzzle that had been taken apart that you could never put back together again. So the red cross that you see in that painting, uh, in that piece, uh, was actually a vintage red cross flag that I used in that. And then it seemed appropriate that for all the folks that did not make it, I actually use a color called ghost gum made by Matisse that floats underneath everything that's happening on, on that surface. So, I mean, things have, there's a certain intentionality about the things that I try to do in these individual pieces mm-hmm. because all those individual elements matter to me you know, in one way or another, for one reason or another. And um, so I'm trying to... I guess, put down, make, express how I truly feel about that particular situation. Uh, I felt about it in the moment. Hello, everyone. My name is Stephen Hamilton. I'm an artist, educator, and you are listening to Studio Noise. talking beforehand about how when you make series you never really end them they just develop into another thing they do they 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 evolve into something new and that's how i've worked most of my life in that um so far this current series is uh, deals with uh allergies uh i've made i guess maybe 120 125 paintings or so 
in that series, but there are other series where there were 140, 150 paintings. Mm. And, and it doesn't really matter so much. Uh, I work on them until, as I said, until they evolve into something else, until I realize that they're no longer part of where, of what I started with. And that's okay. And, you know, I don't mind that at all, but I also realized that my paintings sort of um, lag behind my drawings. So the drawings that I'm, uh, studies that I do today, I may not actually get around to making those paintings um, until six, eight, a year from now. Mm. Six, eight months or a year, because um, it's always a lot easier to do drawings than it is to make paintings. <laughs> <laughs> I would imagine so. Yeah, it just takes more time, that's all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So when, yeah. You, when you do do your drawings and you think about, like you talk about using the red flag, um, the mm-hmm. Red Cross flag in it, and like the puzzle pieces. I know you use lottery pieces. Like you, um, oh yeah. Like you use all kinds of stuff. Like, do you sort? Do you think about that at the time you do the drawing, or does that come later? No, I think about it when I'm doing the drawing. And well, what will happen in the drawing is that they may have a um, almost like a um, a sample, if you will, mm-hmm. of what I'm what it is I'm looking for because I don't want you know. I, I, I was saying as long ago, I said so many great ideas die on the shelf. Mm. You know, and they do. I mean, because it's, you you have this wonderful idea. I said that would be a hellacious piece. That would be really, really great. You know, to do this thing, and then time passes, and you're trying to recall exactly what that great idea was, mm-hmm. and you can't because you didn't write it down, you didn't draw it, you didn't do anything with it. You put sort of put it on that shelf in the back of your mind that you're going to go back to, and you never do. You just can't recall it in the same way. And so what I try to do now is to spend more time documenting those ideas um, when I have them. And so I put them down and sometimes I get back to them uh, in a very immediate sort of way. Um, other times it takes a bit longer and that's okay. You know, uh, again, generally speaking, the way I work is that um, I'm not really in a hurry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just not. I mean, and because I think because I work every day, then uh, I get a lot of work done. I do. But there's no hurry. It's just a painting takes as long as it takes. You know, same thing with sculpture, same whatever it is I'm working on, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So are you super uh, structured when you work in the, in the, like, like, do you come in and like, I'm going to do drawings for an hour and then paint for whatever, whatever? That's a great idea, Jamal. I, I, <laughs> uh, I really need to consider that. <laughs> no, I, I just come in, uh, I get a, a, a double espresso, and uh, <laughs> okay. I sit down and look at the work that's on the table that I'm working on, uh-huh. and um, trying to decide if that's really if what what I left it with when I left the night before. If where it is the next morning uh, or when I go in in the afternoon, I look at it and I say, yeah, that's not quite working. Oh, that's looking pretty good. You know, yeah, we can go ahead and finish this thing up. You know, that sort of thing. Um, But it's always a matter of, again, uh, it's it's almost a very casual approach, if you will, Mm -hmm. but but a very intentional approach as opposed to formal. Right. I think you, yeah. you also embody like what I tell a lot of young artists uh, when I'm teaching at Georgia State or a workshop or somewhere is that mm-hmm. never make work for a show, like make right. work just to make work and that's you'll it. see what happens. And I think that's exactly what you're describing. It's like you're just making like all of this stuff and right. and you with no consideration of where it's going to go, because I think I have, the creation of it is more important. Right. 
I have I have no idea where it's going to go. I do admit that sometimes when I make really large pieces, I know they're not going to somebody's house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's no way. There's no way. I know that up front. And so sometimes you make something. I mean, I have this uh, 10 by 10 foot uh, paintings and I'm thinking, no, nah, I don't know of anybody, you know, who's going to accommodate that immediately in their homes, you know? Yeah. And it's okay. It doesn't really matter. It really doesn't. Yeah. Um, but I, I always think back to um, Thomas Moskowski, uh, because he talked about making paintings that were 16 by 20 inches, and he made a tremendous number of those things. And he said he did so because his friends who lived in these fifth floor walk-ups <laughs> did not have huge apartments to start with. Right. So they could never hang his painting. They, he could, they couldn't hang big paintings in their homes, you know? Yeah. They had no room yeah. for it, yeah. Room for it. so they, he just made really small paintings most of his life. And so, yeah, and, and we, how do you do, um, consider scale when you are making? Like, do you think about it when you're making your drawings? Do you think, man, this would be a great like twenty foot by forty foot piece or something like that? You know what I do sometimes? I many of the pieces that are part of this series are really really small pieces. There, uh, we just photographed uh, forty four of the twenty two by thirty inch pieces. And um, and then they're the large ones. I mean, I think the largest paintings in this particular series are only, I think, four or five feet, maybe a little bit bigger, something like that. Mm-hmm. So, so nothing really huge at all. And um, but it's been a really, really comfortable way of working right now, you know. Uh, but what I will do though is project these images, paintings, finished images, you know, or, or sometimes drawings, and then blowing them up on the wall. I can make them as big as I want them to be, you know? Right. So you look at them that, uh, and now the piece is 10 by 18 feet, whatever it is. Right. And you look at it and you said, that would be really nice. <laughs> 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 and you know, it would be, it looks great, you know, but then you say, Hmm, yeah, but I'm going to have to be on, um, a lift. <laughs> yeah. 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 You got to make some scaffolding for that. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Cause I'm not going to work on the floor. Yeah. I put this thing on the wall and hang it on the wall and work on it. And I'm thinking, do I want to do that? You know? So rarely, rarely, uh, I know I'm supposed to be starting on a painting that is 12 by 30 feet, something like that. Wow. And, um, as a, as a commission thing. And so, yeah, you know, the, the occasions to do, Big things uh, do occur and all that sort of thing, and that's sort of fun. But I think we um, find that, uh, for the most part, I just enjoy working on whatever it is I'm working on in the studio, regardless of scale. And it's, it's you know, sometimes, you know, if I have a, a four by five foot canvas stretched and ready to go, I think, okay, that's what we're going to work on today. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like whatever's that, available. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's whatever's available. And many times I, I buy this uh, Waterford paper. Um, Saunders Waterford, uh, 300 pound hot press paper that comes, uh, I think it's 40 by 60 inches. And it's a wonderful paper to work on. Super smooth, really strong. It's workable. Same thing with, uh, Fabiano, Fabiano Artistico hot press paper, 300 pound mm-hmm. hot press. Mm-hmm. Really strong, great to work on. Love it. You know, so those are my primary, those are my main two papers, if you will, you know, um, and they can sort of take a, a a beating and just keep giving it back for you to you, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I guess those smaller ones, uh, those paper ones, like uh, you can move them around on different tables and stuff. So, like, oh, sure. you have like a lot of them going at the same time. Well, generally not more than three or four. Okay. You know? 
Yeah. Yeah. Three or four. Something yeah. like that. Because yeah. I think it's, it's a certain level of intricacy in your work, too, where, like, you, you not only think about the large, like, macro composition, but you think of a lot of the, like, very intricate um, details oh, yeah. of the heads, too. Like, you might put oh, 100 sure. heads in a piece, like, and individually paint each small head, like, around oh, yeah. the time. Like, uh, yes, indeed. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you, yeah, you do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's great to see because uh, it it makes you think about levels i think um artists as they develop you need to add levels into like the way you work and not just and kind of get past your first obvious message and i think you you do a great job because you know your background might be a thousand heads like put together but then you paint on top of that too and then you add like material on top of that too and then so it just kind of builds and builds and builds like i think that's a great way to work did you ever see the movie uh the film uh watching paint dry no it is, um, it's probably only about uh, 15, 20 minutes long, something like that. Uh-huh. Uh, and you're watching 10 or 12 artists uh, work in a, it's either 10 by 10 feet or maybe 12 by 12 foot space on the floor. Mm-hmm. And the first guy starts out and he does his painting. It covers the whole space and everything. Uh, and you watch, literally sort of watch the paint dry in a way because you can see it drying. It changes from this glossy thing to a flat thing and all that. And then the next artist comes in and paints on top of that, leaving some of what was started with behind, sometimes painting it out completely. And then the next person and the next person, and the next person. And the idea being is that I think there's a tendency for us to, particularly for young artists, to always be willing to stop because either that or they go too far, of course. Uh, but stopping is always really, really uh, at the forefront of their minds in that they're, they're afraid to risk destroying what they've done. Right without realizing that it's just paint, you know? Right. And there's nothing really precious about it in that regard. And you did it the first time, you can likely come back and do it again if you need to. But at the same time, by taking a risk, you may come out with something much, much better than you ever imagined. And I think that's really the important thing there, you know, to be willing to take that risk. Yeah, I I, I went through that when I was making my, my thesis show. Yeah. Uh, like, because um, I'm, you know, I'm a printmaker, I'm not a painter. So when I started painting, uh, I was thinking in a way that printmakers think in terms of mm-hmm. layering and, oh, yeah. and covering things up. And I did have to get comfortable with it. Like, even if I liked it, if, if I saw that it needed a shape that would cover up that area that I need to right. let it go and not, right. not think about trying to save like any one thing as if you couldn't do it again. Yeah. Yeah. Or just the possibilities that you see, you know, he said, this looks good. However, <laughs> <laughs> It could be so much better and, and to be willing to take that chance. You know? Yeah. 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 Exactly. But you grow so much because you are willing to take that chance, though. That's true. You, you really do. I mean, you just, it's, it's, it's just amazing to me how much you can uh, expand your vision of what it is you are about and, and how you achieve those things. That's all. So tell me, tell me a little bit about um, kind of the heart of your work, because I think the heart of your work is kind of this caring for black people uh in a in a major way and and a lot of the questions you ask have to deal with uh the circumstances of black life um how we are where we are and how we change where we are like you say you don't give answers but you have a lot of questions where does that concern for blackness come from like how how did you grow up and like how did that get instilled in you i I think it's sort of always been there yeah i mean i sort of grew up with it in terms of my um grandparents you know that sort of thing Mm -hmm. you know um, uh, my grandparents, my, um, 
my family, I grew up with lots of aunts and uncles around who went through lots of, you know, things uh, in their childhood and also growing up. Um, but having that extended history of uh, the people around you, um, the house, there's a, there was a foundation is the only thing that's left now of uh, where my, uh, one of my great grandfathers lived after he was free from slavery. You know, um, one of my uh, other great grandfathers lived in the house that I lived in, live in right now. And, um, so, I mean, it's, it's all of that, you know, he was born in, uh, 1848, um, and, uh, died in 1937. Um, so, I mean, there's, there's a history associated with the things that I do, uh, in uh, the things that I consider in my work. And of course you see them in your own family, but you also see them. Um, well, let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. The wax piece I was talking about earlier, mm -hmm. uh, was titled unconscious bias. Um, the actual heads were heads of Aunt Jemima. I allowed her to morph them being very, very dark all the way up to the point where she was almost translucent mm. because she had changed over the years. Her hair had become straighter, her features keener, and her skin lighter, but she was still Aunt Jemima. So the title of the piece was Unconscious Bias, and Unconscious Bias was based on a study in the New England Journal of Medicine where they uh, surveyed, I think, about 1,500 cardiologists. And the only thing that varied in the survey was race and gender. But all the cardiovascular problems were the, were the same. And what they found was that about 90% of the times so for the same cardiovascular problems, um, African-Americans and white females were given medicine sent home. And white males were referred to specialists. Mm. When they were shown the results of the surveys, they said, well, it's not being done intensely, so it must be an unconscious bias. So in my life, when my father was dying, uh, he had heart issues. We called the doctor, and the doctor said, I'd love to come see you, but I just got tickets to this baseball game. I don't want to miss the game. What? It's the last game of the season. So he went to the baseball game, and my father died a couple of hours later at home. What? And they're serious. So then there was Aunt Estelle, and Aunt Estelle was one of my favorite aunts and also my daughter's really, really favorite aunts. Uh, she went to see a doctor here in town, was given medicine and sent home, and she was dead about an hour later. Wow. And then my cousin Junior, and Junior, I always talk about him, and Junior was that favorite cousin. We all have one. Uh, drove fast cars, gave me liquor to drink way early in life. <laughs> you know, that favorite cousin? Yeah, yeah. He was checking out of Carolina's Medical Center in Charlotte, and the nurse said, well, listen, and he was sweating profusely and all that sort of thing. And the nurse said, well, when you get home, just take an acid, you'll be fine, you know? And he died in the front seat with me about a block from the hospital. Oh, no. That's unconscious bias playing out in my life. Wow. In real so in making that piece about that, so I use Aunt Jemima to talk about that issue. You see, because she was not only created so to sort of maintain a stereotype, and because that stereotype was created, it also, when you think about it medically, it changed the medical treatments that we were able to get. Even today, we are treated differently. Mm. So, how do you talk about unconscious bias in real terms? You know, and so that was my question. So what do you need, what do you see when you see me? 
And the issue more times than not is that you don't see me at all. You see the color of my skin and you, my treatment is based on that color. Nah, and that, with lot, that's real. And, yeah. and, lot, and lots of other factors as well, but it's tied more to skin color than it is anything else. Cause you know nothing about me. That's real. I, th- I think it, it, we have a, an example, um, you know, just in the news about, um, Makaya, Makaya Bryant. Is that her name? Uh, Makaya Bryant. Yeah. Uh, the girl that was that, um, the police shot four times. She had the knife. Um, yeah. but you know, you learn the circumstances of what happened. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's way more, it's not as cut and dry as people want to make it seem. And they want to make it seem like her life, like she should have been shot or, or whatever like this, like she had no choice like that. Please always have a choice. And it seems well, like they never exercise that choice when it comes to black people because they don't value her life as a as a black teenager. Maybe she was messing up. Maybe she was doing something she shouldn't have been doing, but she shouldn't have had to die for that. Like it was a way they could have intervened in a different way that they would have intervened in a different way if it was like a, a white know, girl, for instance. The thing you have to look at is here she is with a knife in her hand. And then you have the young man in uh, Kenosha, uh, Wisconsin. Mm, yeah. Who just- he would just kill two people walking down the street with a uh, uh, AR-15, yeah, AR-15, and somebody's offering him uh, a drink, and the, some police officers actually gave money to his defense fund. Mm. Defense fund. Yep. Um, or uh, what's the guy's name? Ruth, who shot the people in in Charleston. Uh, yeah, I think Dylan Ruth. Yeah. Yeah, Dylan Ruth. I think they took him to get a, a sandwich from Burger King before they took him to jail. Mm-hmm. You know now. I mean, there's a long history. It's like that one of the shootings that occurred uh, a couple of weeks ago where they were walking the guy out um, um, uh, away from the school or whatever it was and um, of the facility. And again, the treatment is so vastly different, of course, as we all know. Yep. You know? So, again, how do you talk about those things? What are the questions involved for you? Um, I mean, I've created lots and lots of different kinds of pieces over the years as um um, what do you need to see to see me? I guess is the question that's being raised. I did this when I was uh, doing a residency in Wisconsin. Uh, I watched this woman uh, empty her waist and she looked across the room and saw me on the other side of the room. So she, before she got to the trash can, she went back to her table and picked up her purse and then went to empty her waist. Mm. And I said, you know, you don't know me, but I could be the guy that could save your life. So I did this large drawing about this. I think the drawing was maybe five by 12 feet and in three panels. And the first panel was this sort of black anthropomorphic form that simply said to see at the bottom of it. And the second panel was this uh, five foot black penis that simply said myself. And the last panel was completely empty except for the words as you see me. So to see myself as you see me means you can get past my blackness or my sexuality. So you never actually see me at all. Mm. And you are, and you are afraid of me, and you know nothing about me. So again, how do you talk about varying situations? You know that we um, are forced to encounter, to deal with, right? Endlessly, it seems. Yeah, and and I like how you use your work to talk about like a lot of these deep issues. Um, but it's kind of this, this balance between something representational and something abstract uh, oh, that, yeah. that requires you to think about it. Right. You mm-hmm. have to you bring in your biases into the work itself. So it's you have to you won't understand it unless you are looking for the deeper meaning. 
you know? Right. Right. I mean, it's the, the piece of, I did this piece called waiting, um, that, um, some years ago at this point, uh, these were all of the guys that were killed in 2014 by police officers. Oh, I remember this, this one with the, with the writing. Yeah. 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 And it says, uh, Michael Brown is still waiting. Jimmy Rice is still waiting and blah, 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 on and on and on. And at the end of it all, it says, I'm still waiting. We are all still waiting. And those guys never got any justice at all. Not really. And none of them were armed. So I, I think that's, and it would be different if we could, that's, I can think, I think there were maybe 16 or 18 people involved in that situation. Um, and it would be not wonderful to think that was the end of it. Yeah. Mm. It's just that it's been going on for centuries at this point. In terms of being it's how we are valued as human beings or not. And what happens because of it. Yeah, and I think it's easy to forget that when we get caught up in kind of the newness of every interaction, you know, like sure. George Floyd feels new and feels no, like it's something, not. but it, it, there were George Floyds in the in the forties, fifties, sixties, seventies, eighties, like all, all every every decade, every month for the last like however many hundreds of years, sure. like there's exactly. been a George Floyd. Right. I mean, and when you look at um there were always trustees, people who were given the right, if you will, they were slaves, but they were trustees. So they were given the right to beat uh, other black people, mm. you know? Um, so when you think about that, then you look at black police officers today and you, sometimes you have different questions for them. You do. Uh, I do. <laughs> no, that's real. That's real. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's all. And it's a it's a black and brown thing primarily that I I talk about in my work you know for the most part um, the series I'm working on right now elegies is normally when you think of elegies you think about poem a poem for the dead and I'm not really using it that way I'm really using it more in terms of loss and the loss that I'm often referring to is the loss of memory the absence of it's like imagining all those kids on our southern border that are being held out there depending on their age, uh, in a very brief amount of time, they won't know anything about where they're from. Um, they won't hear their language in the same way. The, no culture and traditions that will be a part of that experience. I mean, so many things will be forgotten. And in, the, in our um, effort to Americanize them, of course, since we're gonna keep them here, separate them from their parents and on and on and on, which is what we were doing with the last administration, um, it changes everything for them forever. Um, and then I look at the, some of the people I've known during my lifetime who were far older than I and um, who, you know, because of Alzheimer's, because of dementia, because of, you know, whatever it is, um, cling to certain memories, but they're only fragments of those memories. Mm, you know? yeah. so, so many of the paintings that I'm doing now are expressed as those fragments. It's not that they aren't of value. They are. That's all they have, and they hold on to those things with a great deal of effort. You know, I know my uh, one of my stepdads um, primarily lived fifty years earlier. He always talked about his mom and his and where he lived and so on and so forth. But that was fifty years ago, you know. And his mom was, was had long since passed away. 
that's where he was. So those are the things we talked about. Hmm. So again, when you think about that and what does that look like? You know, those fragments that he's expressing to you. The stories are, you know, oftentimes limited in nature. You know, they're not really expansive narratives. So it's not as if you guys create this grand narrative about what he's telling you because it doesn't exist that way. It's just bits and pieces and fragments and forms and color and texture. And those things get, those ideas, that narrative gets translated into those things. And that becomes the painting. Yeah, I I love the elegy series. Like the I think I think that's um I think that might have been the introduction of me to your work. Um in uh-huh. seeing it. But uh I love the the kind of how do you how it's hard to describe, but it's a symbology yep. that that's in, involved in it and then it's like a yeah. way that you're connecting it, so it's almost like uh charts, you know what I'm saying, like on a map well, and yeah. it's like it's, it's textural like, and it's it's like mapping in a way. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's exactly like that. And you use right. the heads in various sizes and they oh, seem yeah. to be representing various things. And like each one is different. So it's, so as I described the series, it's hard to talk about it in general oh, yeah. because each one is a variation of the idea. Yeah. And it, and it and, seems to keep expanding as you go along. Sure. You're absolutely right. And again, I think the best bet uh, for those who have not seen them, uh, we just go to the the Instagram site, this one.logan. Uh, and there are, a whole bunch of them on there. <laughs> <laughs> There's a whole bunch. How many did you say oh, you've done by now? Oh, probably 125 or so thereabouts. Wow, that that's a massive number of stuff. You know, yeah, talk about this a little bit. Where we talk, um, even when we were at your studio, you showed me some stuff, and mm-hmm. like it's like you complete series and you're doing it at such a pace that you have work that you haven't even shown, like entire oh, yeah. series of like sure. hundreds of works that you haven't yeah. even shown. And that you told me, <laughs> and I, I know you were serious about this, but it came off like almost like a, a joke almost where you were like, if anybody ever wants to come and show my work from the 1980s, I have an entire series that no one has ever seen that I, they can I look can at. Joke. I can give them a show. That's not a problem. <laughs> <laughs> that is wild, man. That is a massive amount of work, man. See, you know what it comes down to? I don't want to be Ziggy. <laughs> you know, not why you were out and signed opportunity i want i want to take advantage of that opportunity right yeah <laughs> that's all yeah and that's why you need this master studio to keep all this stuff that you have in there. <laughs> <laughs> it's always but you know what we do though of course is that we work um up to the space that we have i mean if we have right. a big space we make bigger work if we have a small space we make smaller work and but we keep working we don't stop because of it you know? Yeah, I thought about that when you when you were talking about the 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 ten foot paintings and stuff like that. Because yeah. if you do have that one hundred and twenty foot wall with a twenty yeah. foot ceiling like that, that expands your possibilities of what you oh, can do. Does. It really does. I mean, and you can just knock them out, uh, or roll them out, whatever is necessary, and just do them and not worry about it so much. You know, that's amazing. And at man. the same time, you leave it in place and then go work on that twenty two by thirty inch piece. Right. So you always have like different levels of, of work oh, yeah. going on at the same time. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah. one thing uh, I wanna I wanna talk about a little bit is um your creating and collecting show. Like right now at the Bo Bartlett Center in Columbia, Georgia. Columbus, Georgia, uh, I'm sorry. Um uh, I'm definitely wanna try to get down there and see it. Uh it's mm-hmm. up until June eighteenth. Uh, right. creating and collecting. Juan Logan creating and collecting. Tell me about this show a little bit. 
Well, when it was uh, originated at the Hickory Museum of Art um, um, last year, and um, it um, has since traveled to the Albany Museum, then to the Bo Bartlett Center, and then it ends up uh, at the uh, Sedona Gallery in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. Uh, but the show looks back at some of my early early pieces. Uh, I mean, really early pieces, uh, pieces from, I think the earliest pieces probably from 1965. Um, and then comes forward uh, up through and including uh, some of the LG pieces. Uh, so the large pieces there, Kath um, and Dr. Lyon does a really, uh, I always describe it as a really heavy piece. Uh, in Dr. Lyon, I think the piece weighs about 4,200 pounds. Wow. And then, um, and, I mean, it covers a wide range of my work, but then the collecting aspect of it, I... I've been collecting art for a long, long time now, and not because I collect the work by artists that I really, really admire and simply enjoy looking at. Um, they're not always famous artists. There's sometimes they're total. Uh, they haven't even emerged yet. <laughs> 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 they're still in the process of emerging, but what they make though is really, really good art. And that's the important thing about it. Um, I mean, there, there are pieces by Mark Bradford and Jasper Johns and Rauschenberg and uh, Louis Bourgeois and all those people too. But um, but then there's just, again, there's just other artists that I have admired. And uh, so what you have in that exhibition is a is a nice collection of work um, from the collection. Uh, it was called the Logan Family Collection. So it was sort of held by you know, members of the Logan family. That's awesome, man. And so yeah. how many, how, how big is, do you think the your Logan collection is? I, I, I don't know, Jamal. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I try not to go down that path. <laughs> I guess you, you treat your collecting just like you treat your artwork. You just kind of just do it as you go along and just, just whatever happened, what happened? I, 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 um, well, on the on the light side of things, I've collected enough to start a twelve step program for collectors. I said, "No, you, you, don't, you, you don't look at it. It's okay. <laughs> really, you can't." <laughs> no, my first objective years ago, and this is going back a long way, uh, was to I was my intent was to buy uh, ten pieces a year. I was going to spend a thousand dollars a piece, at least that, and I was going to do that for ten years. So I think I would have a hundred pieces of art. I would spend a hundred thousand dollars and that would form the foundation for my collection. And, uh, pretty much did that part, you know? Um, but at the same time, um, you know how things get out of hand. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, so then things cost more, you end up buying, buying more pieces than you had planned on. And, you know, just that whole thing, you know, mm-hmm. or you trade, you know, I, I enjoy trading as well. You know, I really do. You know, um, I've had the opportunity to trade with some really, really wonderful artists over the years. Um, and so it's all, yeah, all of it. I mean, we do what we can. Uh, I know old, um, um, the artists out there, Kevin Cole has a wonderful collection, you know? Yeah. Yeah. He does. Uh, he really does. You know, um, I, I think most artists, um, tend to collect other artists, you know, uh, because they, they primarily enjoy the, the work more than anything else, you know? Right. For sure. And they enjoy living with it. Not so much to have it influenced what they're doing. 
they just enjoy the work. And that was, that was me. I just enjoy the work by other artists, you know? Yeah. Uh, I think we're all influenced in one way or another because through the things that we see, but not in ways that people would imagine that, um, that looks like, um, you know, Ellsworth Kelly. Well, no, not really. Um, there's no Ellsworth Kelly in here, you know, in, in any direct manner. It's just that I enjoy Ellsworth Kelly's work in much the same way that I enjoy Rauschenberg's work or, you know, uh, or Mark Bradford's work, you know, that sort of thing. So I think that's ultimately what it comes down to. But I think that um, I always encourage artists to collect art. I mean, really, you know, yeah, why okay. not? Yeah, because artists know the, the true value of it. And as a printmaker, yeah. that's one of the things that, that I can readily do, like maybe easier than most because I have multiples to, to give away to people. Yeah, I mean, you should have a wonderful archive of all the things you printed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do. And like, I just, I just really started to embrace it because I know it's like, um, I mean, I always encourage people start with your friends, like whoever yeah. you're making art with, hanging around. It's like, yo, uh, I know Jerusha Graham, I have a piece of hers. Uh, Tina right. Dunkley, you know, what I'm saying Najee, okay. Najee Dorsey traded with me, uh, with a piece that I did. You know, I'm really happy with that. Charlie Palmer, like, so, like, I, I, I collect as I, as I go along and like start at your level, like, just like you're saying, like a thousand dollars, it, it. In bigger artists, it may not sound like much, but if you go to like the emerging artist shows, you give one of them artists a thousand dollars, like you change their yeah. month, like <laughs> like for real. I'm serious, yeah, and it, and it doesn't take much, you know what I mean. Um, and at the end of the day, as things improve for you uh, along those lines, then you collect the pieces that whatever it is you can afford. Do not, in other words, I'm saying, don't not collect. Right. Know? Right. Right. I mean, if you can afford a five hundred dollar piece, then buy that five hundred dollar piece. Just make it the best five hundred dollar piece that you can afford. Exactly. Yeah. Find a good one. Yeah. That's, you know, and I, and I think ultimately that's really what it comes down to. You, uh, I just enjoy waking up and looking at other people's work. I look at my work every day. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to look. <laughs> yeah. I think flashback to like conversation we had earlier about um the way people connect the dots i think that's that's why i like looking at different people artwork because it's like yo they come up with these solutions that i never would have thought of and i, I find know. that fascinating and, and and we learn from it yeah 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 i mean that whole, whole idea i've never met a man i couldn't learn something from i haven't i think every person i've met has something to teach me one way or another good or bad <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i guess we reach the end of this interview man because uh you know what your work is is so layered i almost want to you know what not almost i am going to have to come up to your studio and just sit with you and go through some of your series because i think is the meanings and a lot of stuff about it is so layered it almost needs its own episode it, it doesn't feel right. right to jump around to all the different things and not like give the whole thing so I'm gonna have to. We we'll have to set that up, man. We will, we will. Anytime you want to, just let me know. Yeah, for sure. That's hey, what we, I, that's I, what we're definitely I, gonna do. Paul, I'm in there seven days a week. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you are, man. That, which is still an amazing feat <laughs> by by any stretch of the imagination, man. That is incredible. But it's a it's a dream, man. It's a it's a dream, and a lot of people it, it, will, will want to will want to get there. You know, to that yeah. level. Yeah, it's a uh, I. I I enjoy going in there every day. I really do. I mean, it's just, uh, I feel um, few things are better. Now, I will say this, and I always want intend to say this uh, because it's really, really important. I love what I do. I mean, immensely. I really do. I love collecting art. I love making art. All of it. But I was told years ago 
you know, as much as you love all this stuff, it's never going to take the place of a hug or a kiss. Mm, yeah. Uh, you, you, you hug your child and nothing is better. Nothing. You know, and I, I think that's really what it comes to. I mean, you, when you think about family, you think about all the people that you care for, that care for you. Um, all the art in the world would never take its place. I mean, you can say that again, man. That, that's, it's true. that's absolutely true. Yeah. So that's sort of where I am in life. <laughs> awesome, yo. So good talking to you, man. We got definitely got to bring you back, man. You part of Studio Noise fam now. Tell them where they can find you. Uh, com in terms of uh, web and uh, Logan in terms of Instagram. That's what's up, man. Mr. Juan Logan, thank you for coming on the podcast, man. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And that's it. Another episode of Studio Noise in the bag. Big shout out to Mr. Juan Logan for coming on the podcast. If you get a chance, go down to Columbus, Georgia to the Bo Bartlett Center. Check out his show. It's up till June 18th. I know I want to go see it myself to get inspired. But if you can't make it there, you still need inspiration. Tune in next week. We'll be back with Sudeka and Zynga Terrell live from D.C. Still giving y'all the business. I sure do appreciate you listening. All my artists out there, keep it up. Keep it going. Keep making that noise. I'll see you next week. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Studio Noise Podcast. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Please take a second to rate us and write a review to make sure everybody knows about the noise. Follow us on Instagram at Studio Noise Podcast.